sins atoned and heavens gained because of Calvary's love. Thank you, Christina, for singing this morning of that wonderful love of God. Would you open your Bible with me, please, to Romans chapter 15, where we find a text of Scripture that we'll use as a basis for our thinking this morning about the good gifts of God. We'll begin reading in verse 5 of Romans 15, where it says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us, to the glory of God. Seeking acceptance is a normal drive for most people, and I do mean a drive. We desire for others to accept us, and it's amazing what we are willing to do so that we feel we are accepted. We want to feel worthy. We want to feel like we fit in, that others aren't rejecting us. And so some of us change the way that we look, the way that we talk, the places we go, how we think, sometimes even the standards that we live by. Because we have a drive, a need to be accepted by other people. All of us have experienced, at one time or another, the pain of rejection. And we learn to develop defense mechanisms to try to avoid that pain. Rejection is destructive. In 1952, there was a probation officer in New York who tried to find an organization that would take care of a 12-year-old boy. Although this boy had a religious background, he could find no organization, including major denominational groups that were willing to take him in. The probation officer, a Mr. Carroll, wrote, His case was reported to me because he had been a truant. I tried for a year to find an agency that would care for this needy youngster. Neither Catholic, Protestant, nor Jewish institutions would take him because he came from a denomination they did not recognize. I could do nothing constructive for him. Well, if only the principles of Christian love had been applied to that young man in the Bronx back in 1952, history might have been written differently, for the name of that 12-year-old boy was Lee Harvey Oswald. Rejection is destructive, and once it destroys the individual. It works through the individual to destroy the society in which he or she lives. Many people are afraid to come to God because they're afraid of the ultimate rejection. They are fearful that God may reject them. Sometimes that's an emotional fear that comes out of 
a rejection in the past by some authority figure, a parent perhaps, or a teacher, or someone significant in the life. And that emotional feeling carries over to God. And so people are afraid that God, the ultimate authority, may also reject them. Sometimes it comes out of a sense of guilt. There is a personal unworthiness that is felt. And because of that, and the knowledge that God is good and God is holy, a person may be afraid to come to God out of fear of rejection. Sometimes that fear of rejection arises because of a misperception of what God is like. For some see God as stern, as angry, as distant. The story is told in one of Spurgeon's books about a minister in his day in England who went to take some money to a woman in his congregation who was exceedingly poor. With the sum of money in his hand, he went to her door one Friday and knocked on the door. But no one came, believing because of what he could hear and sense that she was there. He knocked again, and still no one came. He continued knocking and finally left, believing that indeed she must not be at home. Well, that Sunday he saw this dear lady, and he went up to her and said, I came by your house on Friday to bring some money because I knew that you were in need. And she said, oh, what time did you come? And he said, well, I was there about noon. She said, I heard you knocking, but I was afraid it was the landlord coming for his rent. And thus she did not go to the door and receive what she might have had. Some people are that way with God. They feel God knocking in the heart. And they're afraid to go to the door because they don't understand who God is or what he wants to give. Acceptance is a good gift which God gives to those who come to him in humble and honest faith. What a wonderful gift God desires to give to each of us. Acceptance. Acceptance in the sense of receiving with approval. Not receiving with conditions. Not letting in the front door, but just wait there until you drip dry. No, God receives all the way. God embraces. God welcomes. That's the kind of acceptance we're dealing with. This kind of acceptance is not an unemotional acceptance. Indeed, The scriptures tell us that in heaven there is joy among the angels every time someone comes to Jesus Christ in faith and is accepted by God. It is an emotional thing in heaven, and it is on the earth as well. Acceptance with God is provided by Jesus Christ. In the text read earlier in the service, Ephesians chapter 2, it said, But now in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. That verse points out the basic problem we're dealing with this morning, and that is the barrier 
that separates us from God. Yes, indeed, there is a barrier that separates us from God. It is a legal claim that is issued against us because we are criminals in God's universe. We have transgressed the moral law of God. And because of that, there is an issue between us and him. It is an issue of sin in our hearts. The sinfulness of the human heart and the human will hinders our acceptance by a righteous and holy God. Because God must punish sin. God is a holy God and he must punish sin. While at the same time, he desperately loves us and desires to accept us. It seems to put God in a dilemma of sorts, doesn't it? On the one hand, there is an issue and a barrier between us. On the other hand, he desires with all of his heart to reach out with his arms and receive us. That brings us to God's provision. Because God himself squarely confronted the legal claim against us. On the one hand, it was a claim that he enforced as a holy judge. On the other hand, it is a claim that he himself dealt with as a loving Savior. Because God loves us and desires to spare us of the punishment that we deserve, he provided Jesus Christ as a substitute to bear our punishment. That's why it says in Ephesians 2, You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That blood that Jesus shed on the cross was the blood of sacrifice on behalf of others. Not dying for his own sin, he had none. He died for the sin of the world. And it is by that blood, the price, the substitutionary sacrifice that God has dealt with the sin issue so that now he can righteously receive us and accept us. And that brings us to the crucial point of appropriation. Our acceptance becomes personal. That is, it is my personal experience to be accepted by God when I, as a person, repent of my sin and place my trust in Jesus Christ alone for my pardon from the transgressions I have made against the law of God. It becomes my personal experience when I repent of my sinfulness and I turn to Jesus Christ alone and place my faith in Him. In doing so, I receive a pardon from God. Pardon for the crimes against him. A pardon for the transgressions that I've committed against his law. In his book, Peace Child, Don Richardson records a moving account of how he and his family discovered the key to unlock the hearts of the Sawi people in Irianjaya. As they got into that culture and began to to preach the gospel to them. They 
began to realize that there was a cultural barrier to those people understanding God's gift of his son, the sacrifice in their behalf. Because in their culture, any demonstration of kindness was viewed with suspicion and distrust. If one person or one family did something kind for another person or another family, the immediate response was suspicion. How do you explain God's kindness toward us in Christ to a people whose whole culture says any kindness is to be viewed from a distance and with distrust? Until the day, as you know, that they discovered a cultural secret, a key to that culture. And that was a tradition among the Sawi people that if a father gave his own son to his enemy, that sacrificial deed proved that that father could be trusted. And immediately when they learned that tradition among the people, they saw the parallel to what God had done for us in giving his son. The tradition also said that anyone in the village who touched the head of that peace child, anyone who touched the child would be identified with that child and would have from that point on friendly relationships with the father who gave the son to that village. What a beautiful picture God built into that culture of what he would do through Jesus Christ. Anyone who comes to Jesus Christ and by faith, as it were, touches him is immediately brought into a loving relationship with God, a relationship of acceptance. Acceptance with God is provided by Christ, but we see something else in our text That acceptance with God requires my acceptance and your acceptance of other believers. I come back to our text in Romans 15 and verse 7. Accept one another just as Christ also accepted us. Accept one another. What is the basis for this command? It is just simply this. That one who has been forgiven by God and accepted, embraced by God cannot any longer rightly reject another whom God also has accepted. And so he says, accept one another. Now obviously he is not talking about situations where there is moral compromise He is not saying that we are to accept others who are in doctrinal heresy or false teaching. But he is saying that within the family of God, there is to be an acceptance. Just as we have been accepted by God, we are to accept others. And often that acceptance requires forgiveness. It may be that there's a husband and wife here this morning who are going through this kind of a crisis. And right now, because of the failure of one or the other in some issue, there is not a full acceptance on the part of the spouse. 
We need to deal with what the Word of God says to us here. That where there is forgiveness and there is acceptance by God, there is to be full forgiveness and acceptance by us as well. There ought to be no issue that arises within our marriage relationships that causes us to separate from one another, to hold the spouse off until the spouse proves himself. Aren't you glad that God doesn't do that with us? And yet there are husbands that do that to wives and wives who do that to husbands. God says to us in our homes, accept one another. Just as Christ accepted us with forgiveness and compassion and understanding, accept one another. This application is especially important too, I think, in blended families. I was a part of a blended family 25 years before the term was known. I didn't know I was until years later. But my mother, who was widowed, married again. And uh, we became, at that point, a blended family. I had a stepfather. Well, I can tell you in my own experience that it was very easy to accept him. Wonderful Christian man. Uh, It was no problem for me as a a teenager at 15 to welcome this man into our home. It frankly took a lot of pressure off of me. I didn't have to be the head of the house any longer as the 15-year-old. But sometimes that is a problem, especially when there are other children involved and there's a blended uh, sibling relationship, not just a blended parental relationship. We need to learn to accept one another and realize that though people come out of different traditions and different backgrounds, if Jesus Christ has accepted them and forgiven them, we can learn to do that too in our blended family relationships. But obviously the direct application of this is to the church of Christ. For here we are a blended family as well. We come out of many different backgrounds. Lots of different ideas here. But we are to learn to accept one another in our differences, which are superficial and non-essential. I appreciated the prayer of Steve Hinkle this morning when he asked that God would uh, enable us to reach out to those who are from different ethnic backgrounds or racial backgrounds. There is no place in the family of God for discrimination and prejudice and bias based upon those kinds of things. We are to accept one another just as Christ has accepted us. The purpose of this is that the body of Jesus Christ might be unified. He talks about that at the end of verse 5. Notice he says, that God would grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus. In other words, we're to all be tuned in to Christ Jesus. And as we are, we'll be of the same mind. We'll be listening to the same person, to the same voice. Let's suppose this morning that uh, every one of you had a transistor radio, and uh, it was hooked into your ear. And there may be someone here listening to uh, 
what's happening in one of the sports drafts and there's somebody else listening to Top 40 and somebody else who's listening to a Christian station and somebody else who's listening to a classical station, my, though we'd be here together in one place, we're all listening to something different. He says, be of the one mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. That's where you tune on the dial. Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 6, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify God. So you see it's oneness that this acceptance is purposed to prove. Oneness of mind, oneness of heart. We are to be careful that we be not divided by listening to other voices, but to the voice of Christ Jesus. You say, well, Pastor, all of that's good theory. That's a nice idea, but how do you live that out? How am I supposed to accept this brother in Christ or this sister in Christ? Or how am I supposed to accept my wife or my husband under these circumstances when he or she thinks that way or does this or that? How do we learn to accept one another? By the power of God. Acceptance doesn't come naturally to us. What comes naturally is rejection. That's why it's so prevalent in the world. Acceptance comes when we ask God to give it to us. Notice what he calls God in verse 5. The God who gives perseverance and encouragement. The God who gives what we need so that we can accept one another. He gives in the first place perseverance. The word means to abide under a load. Whenever I think of this word, I think of the picture of Atlas, who stands there with his neck bowed and on his shoulders the world sits, according to mythology. But he bears up under that load. God calls us to bear up under the load of accepting one another. And he gives us the perseverance, the endurance to do it. And frankly, it takes endurance to accept others who are different over the long haul. It does. It doesn't happen easily. And we all fail at times. and We come short of accepting like we should. But God gives us perseverance so that we can God also gives us encouragement, it says here in our text. The word encouragement is this word uh, parakaleo or paraclete. It's that word for comforter in John where the Holy Spirit is called our comforter, our helper. It means to call along beside someone else a helper. God says, I will come alongside you and give you what you need. I'll give you encouragement. I think of a coach when I think of this word. A coach who comes alongside the player and whispers in the ear words of encouragement. I've got a son who is playing Little League. And I've appreciated particularly one of the fathers who's coaching that team. Oh, he's kind of a a, a loud guy. And uh, just if he yelled at you, you'd stop and shake a little bit because he's just got one of those voices that penetrates. But when he yells at the, the boys, he doesn't yell unkind things. 
But when they get up to bat, he says, Come on now, John, you're a hitter. Get it out there. You're a hitter. Every boy in that team's a hitter. And some of them haven't hit the ball yet. But they're hitters. Why? Because the coach says they are. He's there to encourage them. He's there to pat them on the, the rear end when they need it. God says, I'll give you encouragement. I'm going to be with you. I'll be along beside you as you learn to accept others who are different than you are. I'll give you the endurance and I'll give you the encouragement. Our motive for doing this, it says in verse 6, is the glory of God. He says, may God grant the sameness of mind, this oneness to you, to the glorify God and, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, he says. The glory of God is to be our motive. What a great motive. Not to glorify ourselves, not to, to boast, hey, look what a broad-minded, wonderful person I am. But for the glory of God, we learn to accept others who may be different than us in some respect. If Jesus Christ has accepted them, we are commanded, we are required by God to accept them as well. The church of Jesus Christ is to be a place where people belong. I don't watch the program because I don't care for some of the insinuations, situations that, it arise, that arise within it. <clears throat> but the, the program Cheers is a very popular one. And the theme song for a while was very popular. And the reason is because in that theme song they talk about what a bar is like. And the basic, basic thrust of it is that when you go there, people accept you for who you are. The fact is, if there's any place in the world that ought to be like a bar in that respect, it's a church. Where we belong and where we are accepted in Jesus Christ, in spite of our shortcomings in spite of our superficial differences, in spite of our weaknesses and our failings, it's there that we ought to be accepted. And that's the kind of a church we want to build here, where there is acceptance of others whom God has accepted. What is your attitude toward other believers today? Other believers who are different. Now, I know it's, it's great to accept people who are like you. People who think like you do and therefore are right. It's easy to accept people who are right. But what about those who are wrong? Just plain wrong in some of the things they think. If Jesus Christ has accepted them, we're to accept them. I wonder who it may be in your circle of associates friends, a family who today needs a hug from you, an emotional hug at least, saying, I accept you in Christ Jesus, just the way you are. You don't have to do anything to improve. You don't have to jump through this hoop. You don't have to live up to this standard. I accept you just the way you are.
Is it your wife who needs that? Is it your husband? Your parent, your child, a friend? Accept one another just as Jesus Christ has accepted you. Have you been accepted by Jesus Christ? Do you know that you have? You say, well, I hope I have. Dear friend, you can know you've been accepted by Jesus Christ. Hope so salvation is not good enough. It needs to be a no-so salvation. Have you been accepted by him? You see, the question can be answered by another question that would say, have you accepted God's offer of pardon? It is when you and I repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ that we accept God's offer of pardon. And when that issue of sin has been settled, then God accepts us without question in Christ. In Christ, he accepts us. The story is told about a situation that arose when Andrew Jackson was president of the United States man was given a court trial and was found guilty and condemned to die. But for whatever reasons, President Jackson offered to that man a pardon. And the condemned man refused the pardon, choosing rather to die. Prison authorities, the Attorney General of the United States, and many others earnestly endeavored to convince this man to accept the pardon. They tried to impress upon him the fact that it would not only spare his life, but if he didn't accept the pardon, it would be an insult to the President of the United States. But the man persisted. Finally, the Attorney General took the matter to the United States Supreme Court and asked them if they could not force this man to receive the pardon that the President had offered him. And the court ruled that, in fact, the pardon was merely a printed piece of paper until the man accepted it. And he went to death. And so God offers you a pardon today because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Will you accept his pardon? Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. As you sit there, I wonder, have you accepted the pardon? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation? If not, would you do it at this very moment? Just tell God that you know that you need to be pardoned and you receive the one he offers in Christ because of his death for you. And if that is your decision, will you let us know? Give me a call this week at the office and say, Pastor, on Sunday, I accepted that pardon from God. I'd love to talk with you about that. Most of us have accepted that pardon who are here this morning. The question is then, having been accepted by God, are we accepting others in Christ? 
Father, I pray that there may be a desire in the heart of every one of us who is a Christian to be as wide open in our reception of others in Christ as you are. Forgive us when we allow petty differences and opinions to bring division. When we are prejudiced or biased because of superficial things that do not matter. But teach us in our families, in our homes, in our church, in our relationships to obey your word and to accept one another just as your Son has accepted us to the glory of your name. Amen.